0: podcast. Hey, Phantom Maniacs. Welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Dave, and today. Needless Con continues. We're heading into the weekend where Dragon Con would have taken place, and there's still lots of fun to be had, uh, Needless Things convention style. Today's episode is a special panel featuring the hosts of the Audible Interlude G.I. Joe podcast. Uh, We sat down and had sort of a roundtable conversation that's very different from... Uh, episodes of audible interlude this is more of a panel whereas those are based around segments and it's a great gi joe podcast that i'm very proud of and i hope you check it out Uh, today you can get to know the hosts of the audible interlude podcast before we get to that uh more dragon con memories uh that i want to share just that being away from the regular world is so much of the magic of dragon con uh you know i've talked in past years about how important the costume community is to the whole dragon con experience and uh that the the fact that it takes place in hotels and not a convention center it's almost like Going to Disney World, where once you get in, you're immersed in this separate reality where your day to day problems get get to fade away for a few days and not be quite so uh, pressing. And uh, you know, a big part of that is is yes, the location being even though it's in the middle of downtown Atlanta, being somewhat isolated away because you can stay in those hotels the whole weekend. You could technically spend the entirety uh, Thursday through Monday without stepping outside once. Now, I I don't do that because it would take effort. Like, it's very easy to just walk outside to get from place to place. Even though it smells terrible, it's easy to do. Uh, But you could stay indoors the entire time if you really wanted to. Uh, But the cosplay community is another key factor of that because when you're walking around these hotels... Uh, there's just no way to not feel magical seeing all of these people in costumes uh, just hanging out, taking pictures, you know, drinking, partying, talking, being cool. But you know, you look in one direction and you've got like a knight, in another direction you've got a superhero, in another direction. Uh, You've got some kind of strange creature that you don't even know what it's from. It's probably, you know, anime, but who knows? Uh, And and, and yes, I understand the probably anime thing is is a little worn out at this point. But it's also true. Uh, But that immersion that is so unique to Dragon Con is absolutely one of the things that I find to be so appealing and so wonderful about it. Uh, and and it's what makes it so you know it's one of the ways that you can enjoy it, you know for me personally, I go down there and I work hard all weekend now, don't get me wrong, I party uh but I have decided that the way I enjoy Dragon con is to do a whole lot of hard work in the year leading up to it uh and then to totally bust my ass all weekend doing panels and game shows and you know anything else uh, that I have the opportunity to do Uh, but you can also go down there and just hang the whole time in this magical different world of costumes and, and people partying there's so many different ways that it's a special and unique convention and uh, again i'll say it's a shame we can't do it this year but at the same time i also think it's kind of awesome because next year how much fun are we going to have how much more are we going to appreciate it uh because as much as i love dragon con it's you know maybe some of us took it for granted a little bit uh maybe there were some things about it that i was a little worn out on maybe i was a little burned out in some ways and now i'm getting an involuntary break that wouldn't have happened and it's going to make me love it and appreciate it and work that much harder next year to make it the incredible experience that it is uh so that's that's kind of my dragon con reflection for this week Uh, If you have anything you want to share about DragonCon, please uh, shoot an email to phantomtroublemaker at gmail.com. Jump into the Needless Things podcast Facebook group. Shoot us a message there. Uh, we will be uh, wrapping all of this up with a very special DragonCon episode. And I would love to hear from you guys, uh, your own memories, your own thoughts, your own speculation about what makes Dragon Con so special. Uh, please, you know, jump into the inboxes and let us know. You can record a voice memo. We'll play it on the show. Uh, you can write something out and I'll read it however you want to convey that to us. We'd love to hear it and uh, share it here on the Needless Things podcast. Uh, So before we get to this week's Needless Con panel, uh, let's talk a little bit about some news. Okay, so first I want to hit the site news uh, that I'm just including as news because I like using that little sting. Uh, Up on the Needless Things YouTube channel, this week I opened and review, or excuse me, unbox, because that's the magic word the kids love, uh, and review the -the Glow-in-the-Dark Baxter Stockman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Ultimates action figure from Super 7. I think it's probably the longest title of an action figure ever. Uh, It's Bug Zapper Blue... Glow, and I'll tell you guys this right now. If you watch the video, or if you've already watched it, I've got a couple of notes in there that say something along the lines of "this thing glows way better in person," and it does. It glows like crazy in person, but for some reason, uh, the the video and the the picture didn't pick up very well. Uh, I don't know why, but it glows like crazy. And uh, go watch that video and. Get the rest of the details if you're interested, and you should be, because I am... Man, I'm in heaven this year. Between G.I. Joe Classified, Masters of the Universe Origins, and now Super 7's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Ultimates finally starting to hit, uh, I I am in toy heaven. This is insanity uh, how great this year is. Uh, So anyway, go check that out. Uh, Like, subscribe, please share. Um, You know, there are other other folks out there getting like ten thousand views on their video and I, i don't know how that happens but i would assume it's because people share them so please uh share the needless things stuff i i can't reach more people without your help uh also this week uh as part of the podcast i don't like the word network family the needless things family uh Execute Chapter 66 has a new episode about Alphabet Squadron, the new media... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The The new media initiative. That's it. Thank you for bearing with me there. Uh, the new media initiative from uh, the comic books and the books. They're going to talk about this Alphabet Squadron thing that's going on that... You know, I'd love to read. I probably should read, but I'm still in the middle of that Prince book that came out, and it's making me cry, like, every 30 pages. So it's going to take me a minute to get through this thing, because it's hard to read through tears. Uh, Other news, actual news outside of the Needless Things podcast family. In an interview for Fantasia which is some kind of, like, horror convention or something. I I realize I might sound like a dum-dum for not knowing what that is, but honestly, if it's not Dragon Con or San Diego Comic Con, I I don't know. It's hard for me to keep track, because I know I'm not going to go to these things. Uh, Jason Blum is apparently working with John Carpenter on some sort of reboot, remake, sequel, prequel, continuation, whatever it may be, of The Thing. Now, seeing as The Thing is arguably the greatest horror film of all time, this is very interesting news. Uh, I can absolutely see people sort of not being thrilled about it, but if you look at Blumhouse and everything that they've done, if a Thing re-whatever is going to happen, which was inevitable, let's face it, this is the place we want it to happen I think so uh interesting news it's about 27 minutes into the interview and I did post a link to that in the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group so you can go check that out uh other news halloween stores are starting to open and halloween stuff is starting to show up in non-halloween stores uh michael's we friend of the show bob burke is i think every year for the past like four years he is the first dude to start posting uh when the home store and michael's and hobby lobby well hobby lobby does like autumn festival or whatever it is so i don't really count them but uh this he he is the guy who puts up the first pictures of halloween stuff in stores like every year he's the he not only is he the glow-in-the-dark world champion he is also the halloween merchandise finding world champion uh so if you're not following him on instagram you should be uh and we will absolutely be having him back on the show very soon for a special project uh but spirit halloween stores are starting to pop up just be sure you're being safe wear your masks which pretty much everybody is now so that's cool uh and then finally the big news dc Fandom happened this past weekend uh our head of research ryan wanted to do a full episode and i just can't Fit it into my schedule. I wish I could have, but in the time frame that I feel like it would have to go up to be relevant, there's just no way. There's too much other stuff going on. So I'm just going to hit on a couple of things. Uh, We saw a trailer for the Batman, and it looks awesome. Uh, It's not surprising. I mean, it's Matt Reeves did three a, a trilogy of movies about apes taking over the world that are, as much as I think people look at those movies, uh, Rise, Dawn, and War, and are like, oh yeah, those were really good movies. But they're not in the constant conversation. They're excellent, incredible, amazing, like, paradigm-shifting movies. They're so freaking good. And he created a tone and a look that's so perfect it respects the original Planet of the Apes movies while moving the idea and the franchise forward. So uh, I am all about seeing his Batman and what he does and especially after this trailer that's just sick. If you haven't watched it go watch it. Uh, But the you know uh, Colin Farrell as Penguin is creepy and horrifying and penguiny and Pattinson looks looks and acts to me like year one Bruce Uh, if you go back and you read year one again uh, that tortured not tortured but like unsure the uncertainty and the darkness and the drive I, I see all of that that you saw in that uh bruce wayne i'm so stoked for this movie everything about it the aesthetics the look the bat suit the batmobile uh the the quick glimpse we got of the bat cave everything about it uh i'm very excited and i'd like to throw this out there uh and maybe it's crazy maybe we don't know enough maybe we know too much for this to make sense but at one point you know batman's beating up a, a gang of joker goons basically uh is it possible that this is in the same continuity as the Joaquin Phoenix Joker. And what we're seeing, uh, that gang of Joker goons are inspired by him, as we saw at the end of Joker. Uh, Just something that popped into my head and I thought I'd throw out there. Very interesting thought. Uh, We also saw the previews for the Gotham Knights video game. I don't think I'm interested in this. It doesn't look like my kind of game. Uh you know i'll check it out i'll play it because my son will be getting it for sure so I'll, you know i'll give it a shot but i am much 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 more interested in the suicide squad game uh suicide squad kills the justice league i think is the full title the trailer was awesome it's from rocksteady i'm in i could i'd pre-order it right now if i could i'd pre- i would pre-order the super deluxe comes with a statue and a a, a skateboard whatever I don't care let me pre-order this thing now I'm super stoked about it um what what other news do we have we saw a new Wonder Woman trailer with a look at Cheetah uh CGI was a little dodgy which is kind of weird considering how much this movie's been delayed but I like the look of Cheetah I think she looked cool and I'm still uh, still super stoked for this movie um I'm trying to think what else was there? Oh, the James Gunn Suicide Squad. We finally, finally got a roll call of who is playing who. And, you know, Polka Dot Man. Boom. There you go. He's in there. Very exciting. Uh, John Cena's uh, Peacemaker costume is. Uh, lots of Kirby looking stuff in this. I, I don't know how Fourth World this one's going to get. I loved... uh, and, And look, I don't know Suicide Squad, particularly the older stuff. I don't know it super well, but I picked up a trade paperback of a story where the Suicide Squad goes to Apocalypse. And if this has any of that, that would be awesome. But I don't think it does. But whatever the case is, it's James Gunn, and everything he does is freaking amazing. So super stoked for that. I like Harley's new gear. I'll buy lots of figures of that for sure. Uh, There you go. I think that's about as much news as I need to get out there uh, for this week. All right. I am very proud to be bringing you this panel from the Audible Interlude uh, G.I. Joe podcast. It's i love doing this show i wish i could do it every single week but it's just not possible uh every monday the first monday every monday the first monday of every month you can find a new episode of audible interlude a gi joe podcast and then every once in a while when there's enough news or, or an event to warrant it we'll record a special supplemental episode uh but i'm very proud of this show I hope you check it out. Uh, I've actually gotten some messages from people who aren't even big G.I. Joe fans who've been listening and who love the show. Uh, I love the chemistry that I have with Christian and Noel. I I think we've got something really special here. So I hope you guys enjoy listening to this panel. And when it's done, if you haven't already, go check out the Audible Interlude podcast, uh, which a new episode will be up on September the 7th. So check it out. I think we're feeling good now. I think we're ready to talk about GI Joe. Is everybody ready to talk about GI Joe? Yeah. yeah. All right. Welcome to the Audible Interlude, a GI Joe podcast panel. Not live, not from Dragon Con, but we're pretending. Uh, I am Dave West, the owner and operator of NeedlessThingsPodcast.com and the Needless Things Podcast, which the Audible Interlude podcast is part of. That whole thing. Uh, Next to me are my fellow hosts. Uh, First, uh, Noel, introduce yourself.
1: Hi, I am Noel Wood, uh, co-host of the Audible Interlude podcast and the proprietor of DorkDroppings.com.
2: And Christian? Wow, I just learned something new about Noel. Uh, I am Christian Allen. I am also co-host of the Audible Interlude podcast. And... I'm here.
1: <laughs> We're ready to
0: uh, talk some Joes. We we are all uh, lifelong GI Joe fans, or or at least since 1982, I guess, because uh, we've all been around that long. Uh, I found them in a drugstore in 1982, the figures, and then loved the comic, loved the cartoon, and and have in one form or another uh, been following along ever since. My current collection is the 25th anniversary stuff, although I am collecting classified, and I am rebuilding my 1982-86 to vintage collection, but I'm taking my time with that, because some of that stuff is pricey, and you have to make some tough decisions. Uh, What about you, Christian? What's your G.I. Joe background? Your backstory, if it were.
2: Yeah, so same sort of thing, where... uh, I found G.I. Joe at our local 3Ds, uh, which was a department store, and um, I was totally blown away by all the articulation uh, that they had and was, was hooked ever since. My current collection uh, is, yeah, the 25th anniversary stuff along with some of my vintage vehicles, but I got to tell you, the more we work uh, on this podcast, the more I'm finding stuff that came during my the years I wasn't involved with G.I. Joe, that
0: uh, it's getting harder and harder not to pull that trigger. It's weird, isn't it? As as we go back, because I'm finding the same thing as I go back and, and just look stuff up and, and look at different collections or whatever, I'm finding little bits and pieces of, you know, things that I missed, but also stuff that that came out while I was collecting that I guess either I passed on or whatever the case may be, but I realized I don't have it. I had to buy a version 2 Roadblock for my 25th anniversary collection because for some reason I skipped it when it came out. (laughs) Mm. I don't know why, but I've got it now, and I'm happy, and he's great and fortunately the 25th anniversary stuff like most of it I'm sure there's some pieces that are quite expensive but most of it is is kind of sitting at pretty decent prices right now ish Ish. <laughs>
2: Consider, considering don't know when some of you listeners are, are going to hear this uh, but we are still in a pandemic uh, so yeah um, I think they're still cheaper than import figures I'll give them that
0: <laughs> well, you could like obviously there there are certain figures that the the prices have jumped up a lot on, but you could still build a pretty decent collection for I think a reasonable amount of money. Yeah. You're just going to run into figures here and there that you're like, "Oof, uh, if, if I really want that Gung-Ho, I'm going to have to shell out." I mean, it you can make the decision, do I want
2: Flint? for her uh, 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 amount of money, or do I want <laughs> Tiger Force Flint for right. 10 bucks? Right, right, right. So yeah. you can still get them, for sure.
0: <laughs> it just may not be exactly the one you want. It
2: <laughs> just might need some aesthetic changes.
1: Uh, Noel, what about you? So I actually uh, preceded uh, 82's G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, because my uncle had given me several of his G.I. Joes, the 12-inch figures from the 70s. Um, one of my favorites was the uh, the Mercury space capsule set, um, was my favorite toy um, prior to a real a real American hero. and my dad encouraged me playing with those toys. So when the real American hero line came out, it was my father who actually told me about it and you know continued to encourage me buying those toys. So um, I got a few of the the eighty two figures. I got a, a vamp with clutch and I got, uh, Zap and a Cobra, uh, Cobra officer actually were my first few figures and my collection kind of uh, spawned from there. Um, had some dark ages as many of us do during our later adolescence and um, but I, I picked it back up you know, here and there and then bought a house about a year and a half ago that had a little bit more space, had some more room to actually display things so my Joe's got to see the light of day uh, for the first time in, in quite a while, um, repaired a bunch of my figures with the O-rings and um, wound up uh, you know, starting to do same thing that, that Dave mentioned he was doing, where I'm going back and filling in holes in my collection. Um, ideally, my goal would be to have everything complete from '82 to '87. Um, that's a very lofty goal, considering the rarity of a lot of those figures, though.
0: Yeah, that's and other other I'm accessories. I am, yeah. I am discovering that. Well, and that's because my original plan had been like, oh, if I see a tunnel rat, I'll just get tunnel rat and then, you know, find his accessories, you know, as I go along. But I have found with most of these figures, it's worth your time and money to just find a complete one and shell out for it. Like, obviously, yeah. you know, look at auctions and, and cause I've, because of the, you know, current situation, I've been doing all of this from home and not at conventions and stuff, but like, you know, I, I you look at auctions and compare prices, but man, some of those accessories are just they're they're very difficult to find in the first place, but then if you do find them, they're so pricey that if you don't have the figure, you, you may as well look for a complete one.
1: Yep. Yeah. The, some of those tiny pieces like mentioning tunnel rat, those flashlights, um, you That that's almost a
0: that I didn't even remember him having. So yeah. as as much as I was good about keeping track of stuff when I was a kid, I must have lost those immediately.
2: Yep. So are you guys completists in the sense of this figure, like Firefly came with this specific walkie-talkie accessory, so it has to be that one? Or do you say, oh, well here's this other generic military line, and that figure has a walkie-talkie, and I can just, you know, it's still in the right scale, I can give that to my Firefly, and I'm good. For me... I'm displaying them...
0: Oh, go ahead. uh, Well, I I was just going to say, I I need it to be Firefly's walkie-talkie, but Mm. I do not mind it being a Reproduction. Okay. And I yep. actually have purchased a number of reproduction weapons and accessories uh, that are great and, and for my person, you know I would never try and resell a reproduction as an original, but for mm-hmm. my personal collection that's just going on my shelf, uh, that I'm fine with that. I would rather spend you know two bucks on that reproduction walkie-talkie than however much I would have to spend for you know maybe up to 20 if you can even find the original one by itself.
1: Mm hmm Yeah, for for me, it's, um... I I would prefer to display them with the original accessories, um, but I also have many of them displayed without any accessories, because if I find them, I'll add those accessories to them. Like, I... uh, My Flint does not have his shotgun. I don't know where it went. It was, you know... It got a lot of play when I was a kid, but it's missing now. Um... You know, and he's just displayed without it. If I get a shotgun for a reasonable pl- uh, price, I'll add it to it. Um, don't really do reproductions, um, but I'm not opposed to them. I actually like, if if I had more time and more energy in my life, I'd actually love to do, like, dioramas and stuff, and use some of those re- repro parts to kind of litter the batter- battlefield a little bit more, but, um, but yeah, just for my display, you know, I prefer to have the original parts, and if, if I don't have them, then they just go without.
0: Interesting. Mm. See, I, I've uh, I have a line of practicality where I do want the original parts, but once they exceed a certain price or a certain amount of difficulty, I'm going to have finding them. Then I'll throw in the towel. But I do want to. Yeah. If if a figure isn't complete, I don't put it on the shelf. Mm. Oh wow! Yeah, I wow. won't. I won't put them on the shelf without all their parts, or or at least without. Uh, You know, if it's somebody that comes with a ton of stuff, and and I happen to not, like, for for instance, if I had a tunnel rat that had everything except those flashlights, I'd probably put him up there. That would be okay, since I didn't remember him having those anyway. (laughs)
1: If if your Zartan does not have his mask that normally hides in his backpack anyway, it's okay to display him without that.
0: Yeah, that would be (laughs) fine. That would be fine. If it's something that's not, like, a visible trademark accessory... You know that that would be okay. Although right. I, if I didn't have the backpack um, or the armor plates that are that are so frequently lost, uh, I wouldn't put him up.
2: Interesting. Yeah, I I'm not picky like, at, at all. Um, and since I do mostly um, photography and diorama type displays, a lot of the weapons end up getting mixed up, and uh actually just the other night I was trying to work on a, a new set I'm building for Destro and Baroness, and I was looking at, at the pile of guns I had and was like, I guess I need to go online, because I'm not remembering specifically which gun was Baroness's.
0: <laughs> she has the weirdest rifle. Yeah. It's that big, thick, chunky rifle that... I didn't. I was thinking of her as having more of a pistol. As a matter of fact, if I was just sitting, like, before I dove into the vintage stuff again, if I just had a pile of stuff sitting in front of me, I probably would have given her Destro's pistol.
2: Yeah, once I saw because that rifle does not look good in her hand. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so mostly everything I've ever done with her, uh, I have, like, this very sleek-looking... Um, you know long range rifle, like a sniper rifle and and that's what I always give her and I'm perfectly content with it. I know I have her weapons, yeah, but it doesn't harbor my enjoyment if if she's not displayed or used with the correct one
0: I gotta say her you know since we're talking about that rifle, I think that stands out as one of the most like awkward and not fitting into the line weapons. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly from the first five
1: years. Yeah, and she was a figure I never had as a kid. I had the rifle from well the the red version from the Cobra accessory pack. Yeah. Um, but it I just never thought that it fit with her. And I figured if I did have her as a kid, I would have had her run around with a pistol. Because that's what she tended to fire, in the, you know, a little laser pistol in the cartoon. Yeah. So that's what I would have put in her hand.
0: And and you just reminded me of something, uh, mentioning the, the recolor version that came out in the weapons pack. Uh, I gave that red one to the His Tank driver. Ah. Which looked really sharp. All right, well... That's enough. We can save this sort of conversation for the actual Audible Interlude podcast. Now that we've warmed up a little bit, uh, it's time to go around and discuss some of the things that we love about G.I. Joe, whether it's issues of the comic or specific toys or whatever. Uh, each of us have a, a handful of specific things that we love that we're going to talk about. And uh, Noel, or since this is a G.I. Joe podcast, we all have sort of... Uh, Codenames. Not that we use, really, but just that it's a fun thing that we do. So, uh, Codename Crapshoot. Why don't you kick us off?
1: Alright. So, I'm glad I get to kick this one off, because I figure this is a popular one that other people might also um, want to choose. But, um, they have been, since since their inception in 1984, uh, have been some of my favorite toys. Well, actually, 85, I guess, technically, but they did come out in 84. Um, some of my favorite characters, my favorite toys in the entire line. Uh, I'm going to group them all together, specifically the original three, (laughs) Dreadnoughts. And, um, of course, that's Torch Ripper and Buzzer. Um, There were many others, but those are the three that really kind of started it all. Um, And I guess I, I was, even though I didn't really know a lot about punk rock, I loved, like, the look of punk rock. And to me, they were the punk rockers of cobra is what i saw them as when i first when i first saw them they were these apocalyptic mad max inspired like biker guys they had wacky backstories they had these these crazy weapons i mean you know you had one that carried the jaws of life and one that had a a chainsaw uh mounted to a rifle um you had you know the, the the stories. You had Buzzer, who is a like a snobby Cambridge professor who was studying Australian biker gangs and got so hooked into the lifestyle that he just became one. Um, they were obviously in all the media. They were they were very much loved. Larry Hama used them all the time. Um, gave them an, an affection for grape soda and chocolate donuts. Um, and I mean the cartoon they. Formed the band Cold Slither along with their leader, Zartan. I mean, one of my favorite episodes of the cartoon. Um, and one thing that was, I figured out when I was about, you know, 11 or 12 years old, and I've always thought it was clever, was their names are Winkin', Blinkin', and Nod. Um, just a little, <laughs> little clever thing that Larry Hammoth threw into the file cards when he was creating their characters. So, always love the Dreadnoughts, especially those three.
0: Yeah, I was. Huge fan of the Dreadnoughts because they were, they were so often the guys like you said in the cartoon or in the comic book. You know, we saw them more, really, even than standard Cobra troopers, as far as actually having important um, roles in the storylines.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 the fact that they weren't even really technically members of Cobra. They were these mercenaries that were working for this, you know, Zartan. Which, like to me, they like at first I didn't even like rock the whole Zartan and the Dreadnoughts being together thing because they just didn't seem like they worked until you got to see the characterization in the in the cartoon and the comics. Um, but yeah, they were used for like all sorts of missions where you wouldn't normally think that these guys would be would be going.
0: Well, and the characterizations were kinda all over the map, but it didn't matter because they always they did always look the same way, and like you said, they had that, that uh that fringe look Yeah of of the the dangerous guys.
1: Yeah, they looked they, they were looked the chaos bringers. That's right. They looked tough.
0: Yeah, I loved the figures. The biggest disappointment to me was that I couldn't find any motorcycles for them uh the dreadnought cycle didn't come out until 1987 and i honestly i don't care care for that all that much oh, anyway
1: barely a motorcycle to begin with
0: right uh so i i was always bummed out that i didn't have motorcycles for these guys to ride and i don't know that if one eighteenth scale you know now you can go into walmart and buy uh 118 scale motorcycles that are pretty good um but I just couldn't... It was frustrating to me back then, but I did have my Migo Chips motorcycles <laughs> that uh, I had two of those, because I had one for Punch and one for John, so uh, the, the Dreadnoughts kind of swapped around on those when I needed them too,
1: Okay. See, they were usually just causing chaos with their with their crazy weapons. You know, Torch was opening up uh, the walls to GI Joe headquarters, or sorry, uh, Ripper with Ripper with his, his giant blade, and Torch was setting everybody on fire. So, you know, they didn't have much use for motorcycles when I was playing with them.
0: Unfortunately, we did get the Thunder Machine
1: that you could load everybody onto, right? Which is one of my favorite GI Joe vehicles of all time. But that's yeah. not the subject right for me right now. <laughs>
0: uh christian any uh memories
2: uh, to, again like to me in in my play they they were just chaos, they weren't foot soldiers, they weren't going into battle like um you would send your you know normal cobra troopers, and these were the guys that were making a lot of noise. Is they went up on the GI Joe headquarters and yeah, I torch was my my favorite as a as a kid um, and when the twenty fifth uh, virgins came out, he was the first Dreadnought that I got.
0: Ripper was my favorite. Um, I liked the mohawk and and his look, and then the. Uh that bladed weapon with the, I don't know. He just looked to me the, the coolest and the scariest, I guess.
1: And I guess since we're all going around with our favorites, I'm going to be the odd man out too. I'm going to say buzzer. So we all like <laughs> one of the three. Perfect. Buzzer was my favorite because he kind of looked like D Snider in the face to me from uh, twisted sister, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I just liked I liked his characterization, I liked his I liked his voice the best on the cartoon and you know, I loved his weapon with the uh with the chainsaw. I will say
2: Ripper made out the best when it came to weapons because you know, his gimmick was the jaws of life, but like you said, that, that bayonet gun that he had, like, you know, Torch had his flamethrower, buzzer had his chainsaw, that was it. And ripper
0: yeah, I wonder how won they decided the
2: weapon lottery.
0: I wonder how they decided that he got that that cool rifle with the the, the insane bayonet thing and the the jaws of life, the hydro with the hydraulic hose cuz we all know I love <laughs> figures with hoses.
1: Yes. <laughs> Until you got to find the hoses 35 oh years later.
0: <laughs> I feel so lucky that 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 lot i got had all of the hoses and then some although i didn't know which hose went with who so there there may be some that are wrong
1: there are varying lengths of hoses so you gotta kind of match them up
0: yeah um all right well at least we know once conventions start happening again uh that the three of us will not have to fight over our dreadnought costumes that's right (laughs) Uh, all right i'm gonna go next um my first pick for something that I love, something that's important to me from G.I. Joe, is Worlds Without End.
1: Oh, uh, uh, you stole my second one. Did I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: it, is, uh, it is a two-part episode of the G.I. Joe Real American Hero uh, 80s cartoon from Sunbow. And it's possibly my favorite cartoon story ever it was written by martin pasco whose name you should google immediately uh i didn't know this until i started sort of looking around for this panel uh he wrote a number of titles for dc he worked on star trek for marvel he wrote for every genre tv show that you loved in the 80s uh he named ukla the mock from thunder the barbarian uh i did not i did not know this uh he worked on Thundar the Barbarian and they were walking by the UCLA campus trying to figure out a name for this creature and he looked at UCLA and said, why not call him Ukla? <laughs> I, I Right now I'm picturing Joe Crow's head just exploding with that knowledge. <laughs> if he didn't already have it, which is entirely possible. Uh, he also won an Emmy for working on Batman the Animated Series, co-wrote uh the mask of the phantasm feature film and unfortunately died this year on my birthday uh i strongly recommend everybody after you're done listening to this google martin pasco and look at the insane list of contributions uh that he has made to the pop culture that we all love but uh anyway so that's who Created. And it's also noteworthy that he is the single credited writer for these stories, because a lot of times there were a couple of different writers working on these. Uh, but this is a story where a portion of the G.I. Joe team is trying to get the transmuter, uh, that, that's your MacGuffin of the, the day, back from Cobra and they get transported to an alternate dimension where Cobra won some years before. Uh, It's a pretty dark and intense story, probably the most dark and intense thing we saw from Real American Hero, and Steeler is a focal point of the whole story. He is expressing, at, at the beginning wondering what's the point of the fighting what's the point of the war it doesn't matter who wins he's tired of fighting he's tired of not seeing his family and his friends uh and to me this this story arc with Steeler is the closest the cartoon came to representing a lot of the themes that Larry Hama tried to bring to the comic books uh about PTSD and about you know the strains of war uh it's it's big and even as a kid i recognized that these episodes and and what these characters were going through was something special uh but the the biggest thing for me then was the fact that at the conclusion of the story that it it, you know most of our joes get back home and they make a difference in this world but the fight's not over and Steeler, grunt and clutch Three Joes, who had been around from the beginning, stay in this alternate dimension to help fight Cobra's regime, and we never see them again. They're gone. And yeah. 80s cartoons didn't do stuff like that. Like, you know, you may, a character may show up for however long their toy is on the shelves and then just not show up anymore, which happened a lot in G.I. Joe. But these guys within the story left, uh, and it was it was huge, and and it, none of them were my favorite Joes, but it still had an impact on me.
1: Yeah, it's 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 this was this was my second choice too. The when Grunt, Clutch, and Steeler, I mean, essentially they killed off those characters the only way they could really do it in the GI Joe cartoon. Yes, um, that the, they. Said we're not selling these toys anymore, but we're gonna do a really like clever way of getting them, you know, off the shelves by having them stay in this dimension with the Baroness fighting this war,
0: with the good Baroness,
1: with the good Baroness, yes. <laughs> and cool. there's two words for you, Dreadnought Cops.
0: Yes, Dreadnought <laughs> Cops. What a concept that is with with Zartan just sitting in the police station yeah sergeant zartan or whatever the heck he is <laughs> oh man and, and what's interesting is this is the some of the vehicles uh you know we mentioned this in on an episode of audible interlude uh this was the first appearance of some of the vehicles before they even became toys uh it was the first time we saw the uh firebat was mm-hmm. in this episode and gosh there was one other we we mentioned it for for you guys if you're listening now you should go check out the audible interlude podcast to find out uh more tidbits about these episodes uh christian thoughts
2: i uh, i need to dig this one up uh, unfortunately my my recent uh viewing of the cartoon has mostly been uh some Sergeant Slaughter research that I'm doing. So I've been watching those specific ones. So I'm totally drawing a blank on this episode. Well, well luckily, not, this, one is, myself.
1: this one has been on regular rotation on the uh, G.I. Joe Hasbro YouTube, YouTube YouTube channel. At least it was. That's up a couple of weeks ago. So um, oh, I, you, you should you know what I'm catch doing after this recording.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, this, this was groundbreaking, big you know when you're a kid you don't run into a whole lot of genuine affecting drama and this definitely uh definitely got me and, and left a big impact uh all right well christian since uh worlds without end you need a refresher on that why don't you go ahead and take <laughs> us into your first pick
2: oh right so we've covered toys we've covered the cartoon let's jump into some issues of the comics Let's go back to G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, issues 98 through 100, The Return of Cobra Commander. This, oh, yes. this was huge. I mean, this was ROM issue 52 huge to me and my friends. Um, the G- One thing the G.I. Joe comic always did, when they killed somebody off, They were done. They were gone. So when they had earlier killed Cobra Commander and showed how easy it would be, anybody can be under that hood or in that battle armor. Me and my friends were like, oh, this is it. Uh, And when, when Cobra Commander came back, it was like Larry Hama was able to go... Here's all these characters that I I had to include because of the toys, and now we're going to wipe the slate clean, and <laughs> it was a Cobra bloodbath. Um, it, cobra Commander has his his loyal uh, Fred clones, which was a concept I loved uh, as, as a kid. Um, you know that had when they thought he was dead they had saved him, helped nursed him back um, when he it, it, he got Zartan, Dr. Mindbender Raptor, they introduced Raptor during this storyline yes. and, and as much as I s- still can't wrap my brain around him as a figure it was like Larry Hama was like I don't have a choice And I'm going to write him just as absurd as this concept is. It wasn't like he tried to make him, like, you know, badass or anything like that. Like, everybody around Raptor kept commenting about, you're dressed like a bird. Like, we cannot take you seriously. But it's not even enough for him... uh, his revenge against them was grandstanding. You know, they're they're in a freighter. He buries that freighter inside a volcano, and just leaves them there. And and like I said, it's the Pentor, Zartan, Doctor Mindbender. Um, granted, Zartan you know, made it out alive. But, but during that whole thing, me and my friends were just, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like we were so excited every month when, when the next issue came out, because at that point we thought no one is safe. Like there had always been little rumblings throughout the, the comic series of, you know, Destro and Baroness power play with Cobra Commander. And, and when, when, they killed off all those other Cobras. It was like, oh, game game on. And, uh, yeah, I, I still reread those issues. Because it showed that Larry Hama in the comic was writing a Cobra Commander we never saw on the cartoon. And couldn't.
0: Yeah, I loved the Cobra Commander. I mean, when, when I... Played with my figures. I definitely had the comic book Cobra Commander in mind. Uh, now, I'm not going to lie. I did like to use the cartoon voice <laughs> because, course. let's face it, that's a fun <laughs> voice. But he was an evil mastermind. He was not a, a buffoon. Um, but I will say this: I have not reread the Real American Hero comics in years. I remember Cobra Commander coming back and I specifically remember what you said about him burying everybody alive um, in the volcano Uh, but it's been so long since I've read these I don't have any specifics to bring to mind right now.
1: And then this is when Cobra Commander also comes back and starts using like 50 cent words every chance he gets which I love that that's the way his character developed after coming back from the dead for like two years. And I believe that's also um
2: he had gone back to the hooded look in the comic because obviously when the Fred one of the Fred clones was the Cobra commander before that, you know, Hama had him in the battle armor because that was the current toy. Right. And he came back. We got him back in full Cobra Commander
1: regalia. I got to ask Larry a question about that, because, you know, typically it was a pretty realistic portrayal of war. When people died, they were gone, and G.I. Joe yeah. and Cobra Commander was one of the few exceptions to that rule, at least early on, and, you know, I said, why did you kill Cobra Commander off, and then later bring him back, and he said, because Hasbro wanted me to. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that was the thing, like, we were, you know... Growing up reading comics, by you know, by the time I was in sixth grade, me and all my friends were like, nobody stays dead. You know, you never took it seriously, but GI Joe was one of those comics that when somebody died, that was it. You didn't see them anymore. So,
1: well, and if anybody can get away with that in that comic, it's Cobra Commander because you know he's head of this cutting edge technology based. You know, evil terrorist group. So he's going to have somebody who can probably bring him back to life more than anybody else.
0: Well, and there are two factors that go into the permanence of death in G.I. Joe. And that, you know, one is, as we were talking about before, once somebody's not on the shelves anymore, then Hasbro doesn't want them in the, the media anymore. Uh, but also, Larry Hama has always said it was very important to him to show the cost of war. Yep. Um, he, he, When characters died, he wanted them. Gone, so it fit within his ethos for them to not come back.
1: The, every every death pretty much had an impact, yes, uh, in mm-hmm. the storyline. Um, for you know, he, he was just going off and just killing a bunch of characters randomly here and there. A few major characters died during the run, sometimes in large batches. But when that happened, it was to to make a very very serious point about warfare. And this was the only time. Where
2: it sort of was all built around what you know what's considered milestone issues in a comic. You know, yeah. Any other superhero comic, it's like, oh, issue twelve somebody dies, issue twenty five somebody dies, issue one hundred somebody dies, and with GI Joe, you you never really saw it coming. It would just be any issue. It, it wasn't like a. Big event. It was. It
0: was more like you said, the cost of war. Well, and it it wasn't like a cover story. Like they didn't have in this issue, Bazooka meets his end. Which, granted, didn't happen in the comics, but you know what I mean. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I brought that up because I know that's a uh, that's a sore spot uh. for you. <laughs> um. All right. Still well, one of the greatest GI Joe cartoons, but man, oh. <laughs> yeah we, we will uh if everybody subscribes and tunes into audible interlude we will absolutely be reviewing uh gi joe um oh shoot what is it resolute resolute, resolute uh in the coming months 100 percent. a lot to unpack with that one but first we have to move on oh and i i forgot uh my my codename and Christian, I am codename Phantom Troublemaker. Uh, a lot of thought went into that one, let me tell you. Uh, and Christian, codename Legion Cub and also follow Legion Cub on Instagram for that toy photography that uh, you mentioned that just, I think it was today when you put up that Jabba Skiff picture. Yeah. That one's awesome. Oh, thank you. So, yeah, you guys be sure and follow him. Uh, all right. We're going to come back around to uh, Crapshoot. What is your, well, we know what your number two pick was. What is it your, was. What is your alternate pick?
1: Well, um, so the name of our podcast, as you know, is Audible Interlude. It is inspired by an issue of the G.I. Joe comic, Silent Interlude, which I love, but that's not what I'm going to be talking about right now. Um That is issue 21 of the original Marvel run. They have tried many times to kind of recapture that magic over the years in Marvel and other comic series as well. But nothing captures that better than nine minutes of action in the second live-action G.I. Joe movie, Retaliation. Uh, There is a scene with the ninjas uh, on top of some mountains that is probably my favorite action movie scene of the last like 25 years on film. Otherwise, both of the G.I. Joe movies, I can take them or leave them. They're fine. I don't dislike them. I don't love them. Uh, but that scene, it's like nine minutes of the movie. Um, it's uh, Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow are battling up on top of the mountain. Um, they chloroform... Well, Jinx comes up, they chloroform Storm Shadow, and they put him into this body bag... And all of the Red Ninjas, and all this is inspired by Silent Interlude, the character like the character design of the Red Ninjas and Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes battling. Well, and even
0: uh, the temple that they're in is very similar yep. to the Silent Castle.
1: Yeah, even the temple. So they all come after them, then Snake Eyes just haphazardly throws Storm Shadow in this bag off of this mountain, and they go into this... Crazy zipline sword fight battle with not a word of dialogue spoken for like nine whole minutes and it's mind blowing it's it's just epic to watch and even like the backstory of how John Chu came up with that scene and like first started getting ideas for it was essentially arranging his furniture uh, to resemble the mountains uh, that they were planning on shooting this in Vancouver. And then got Hasbro to send him a bunch of action figures uh, so he could actually like stage the action scenes <laughs> with zip lines across his living room. Oh my gosh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I uh, said so it's it's the best part of the live-action movies and honestly one of the best scenes in any G.I. Joe visual media. To me.
0: Yeah, I, I actually just watched... Well, I watched both of the live-action movies uh, with my son a couple of weekends ago and he he thoroughly enjoyed them and asked me why there hadn't been more. And I said, because nobody will commit to G.I. Joe, but maybe this year that'll change. Yep. Uh, I mean, we know the Snake Eyes movie is coming, and I, I do wonder if the... Because in general, everybody loved the scene that you're talking about. It's it's incredible. It's even beyond being great G.I. Joe, it's just great action movie cinematography. Um. I love the fact that they're just straight-up Red Ninjas uh, right out of the the comic and, and, you know, everything else. Uh, It's amazing to watch, and we both sat there just jaws dropped the whole time because it's describing it or thinking about it, it seems like it might be a little ridiculous, but watching it, it's all logical it all flows from one point to another. Like, at no point does it break your suspension of disbelief. Right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic scene. And, and I'm, uh, I enjoy the Joe live-action movies, but, yeah, I don't, I don't love them, but I do love this part of them. And especially as a nice palate cleanser for the terrible acting from the blind yeah. master.
1: Well, and it's, and it's, I mean, the action's great too, but everything about it, the color palette is so striking because you've got Snake Eyes and it's all black, Storm Shadow it's mainly in a body bag the whole time, but even the body bag is kind of similar to his costume in the white. You've got Jinx, who's not wearing red, uh, her costume for the movie is this yellow and black costume, and then all the red ninjas. Which so, I'm fine
0: with because you want to differentiate her from the red ninjas.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I actually like that costume a lot. Yeah. Uh. I think it really works for the movie so just all of that color palette on this which is supposed to be the Himalayas it's um, you know it's it was shot up in the mountains of Vancouver but you know it's it's snowy and there's some greenery on the rocks but it's all very for the most part it's a very um, like neutral backdrop uh, so everything that Happens on it is just really striking. Whenever you see one of those ninjas coming to view, and you know, they're they're dying like Warner Brothers cartoon characters, just you know whacking into one another and just falling off and you know into the, into the abyss. But uh, but yeah, every every bit of that is just visually just beautiful.
2: See, listening to that, my heart is starting to thaw a little because. <laughs> I'm uh, I remember the second movie being better than the first but still not enjoying it and if I know on our podcast I am the too many ninjas guy <laughs> uh but I think I will try and watch the movie again with a more open, ninja-loving mind.
1: <laughs> and I'm the same way. G.I. Joes and ninjas are not my favorite part of G.I. Joe. Um, I tolerate it to a certain extent, but this is so good. Like I said, this is, this is not just great for a G.I. Joe scene, as Dave was saying. This is a great action scene in general. It just so happens to also be G.I. Joe, which gives it a little extra love for me. I
0: think with the live-action Joe movies, the secret... Well, and and honestly, the secret to anything, take the things that you recognize and that work and that make sense and love them and the fact that they happened and the stuff that maybe doesn't seem contextually as much like G.I. Joe. You you just... Well, it's it's a movie. I've got to enjoy what there is to be enjoyed and, you know, everything else just... We'll we'll move along. (laughs) (laughs) Um... And speaking of Silent Interlude, uh, for the listeners, if you would like to hear us review Silent Interlude, please tune in to the September 7th episode of Audible Interlude. Uh, All right, I am going to go next with my number two pick. One of my favorite action figures of all time, one of my favorite G.I. Joe figures, uh, changed my life in 1986 when they released... The Cobra Battle Android Troopers. Yes. Uh, when I was a kid, I only had one. I wanted tons and tons of them, but I I was I don't know that I had any really troop builders when I was a kid. I, I had a couple of Cobras, like the the. Uh, oddly enough, I think I had a, a multiple Cobra infantry guys. Uh, I'm sorry, mo- multiple Cobra officers and like one and <laughs> regular Cobra, but uh. my my mom wasn't big on just buying a lot of the same figures. So I had one battle android trooper, which meant in my play it was a much more unstoppable powerhouse than the extremely fragile, explosive things you saw in the cartoon. Uh, But the I just remember being blown away by the colors and the design obviously that lenticular chest piece was just awesome the interchangeable hand that came with the claw the laser and the torch added so much play value to this guy the black and yellow color scheme was great but looking at it now like think about how simple this figure you know if if we want to make a disposable trooper so that in the cartoons, we've got somebody that G.I. Joe can actually shoot and destroy. Well, they didn't need to put as much detail into this figure as they did, but it's it's loaded with all the folds in the fabric and the detail on the boots and the thigh strap thing. And, like, it's, it's a fully developed figure and not just some sort of generic troop figure. Uh, it's very striking. You know it the second you see it. It makes for a great costume because you see them basically any convention you go to. Uh, I I, I love seeing somebody in a battle android trooper costume. Uh, And it was used in everything. The cartoons, the comics, the books. Uh, I I just absolutely love that original bat. But I love all the variations we've seen since then as well. Uh, They've done a ton of them. Obviously, it's a popular idea, a popular concept. Um. I think one of my favorite things they've done was a Troop Builder set that came out in 2003, right? 2003? Mm -hmm. Uh, It came with three uh, updated bats, two Inferno bats that are made out of translucent red plastic, uh, and then the bat... Sort of commander overkill who had this opening translucent green chest. The little gun pops out of. Uh, is and I think that might be the last mail away item I ever ordered. I cannot think of anything after that. But yeah, I just I, that original bat figure I love, and the whole concept of the battle android trooper is is great, and has been used you know in, in all kinds of different properties over the years. So what do you guys think about the bat? <laughs>
1: awesome toy. Awesome, loved it. Uh, and like I said you, you were saying that you know, you're you have your bat go through and he's just like ploughing through the Joes. And what I loved about it because he had those the the arms that were interchangeable like as he would go through it, like, parts of him were being ripped off by the Joes, and he's still fighting, because he's an android and he doesn't feel pain, and he can just go until he physically can't move anymore, and so, like, that arm would be off, and he'd still be coming after him with the stub of his arm. That was a, a frequent feature in my Joe play as a kid. I never actually
2: had the version 1. Oh, no! Back. Not... I... Eventually, yes, did get him. But when they came out, did not. Um, I think my mom actually uh, got him with a lot uh, of G.I. Joe figures that she, you know, a lot that she had found at a yard sale. Um, And as much as I do like the Bat 1, when my younger brother got into G.I. Joe is when... The Bat version 2 came out In the orange And I Really fell in love With that figure uh, I, The The face mask It, it was To me uh, like a sort of Blank mascotron From the Bionic Man and uh, Luckily or thankfully I was old enough at that point To have disposable income uh, thanks to weekend jobs and stuff like that so uh, me and my brother younger brother had quite a few bat twos and it was awesome
0: yeah it's interesting that they changed it to that orange i guess in the second year in 87 maybe no, ninety one. Oh, was it that? Well, because
1: there was an alteration in the yeah, in the color in the coloration from the original in the original bat too. Yeah, because yeah, the just f- a variation, oh.
0: the first ones that came out were black and yellow, but later production runs the the it's
1: it could it's still subtle.
0: Yeah, but it is orange. Yeah, it's still
1: considered a v1 it's not like it's not considered to be a variation enough to be a different version but
0: well on the file it, card is even different yeah it's uh it's a bat and not bats which is actually correct because it's a battle android trooper there is no s uh yes. in in that other other than the you know the fact that there are many of them
1: Right, which is that they did a lot, like, you know, the eels. I didn't figure that one guy was called an eels. Right, right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Of course, Hasbro would have been interested in uh, the idea that there should be lots of them, right, kids? Take your parents to the store and buy lots of eels and bats.
2: (laughs) That's And I...
0: Did the mail-away
2: overkill come with his talking backpack, like the the single-carded figure?
0: That was later than I was paying attention, so I am not sure. Okay,
1: yeah, those are those are my you know getting into my dark years of GI Joe. I did uh, I'm familiar with Overkill in retrospect, but I don't think I even knew who he was until you know so just a few years back. Yeah, I didn't he was know who... one of my younger brother's
2: favorites, um, and I knew that he was the the commander of the bats, um, but that you know, gun that pops out of his chest was uh very cops. Uh
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was um I, I didn't I wasn't familiar with Overkill until I got that mail away set and he was in there and I was like, Who is this guy? <laughs> with his awesome translucent chest. All right, we have right? to move on yep. to uh our final. You you're closing us out. All code, right, code name Legion Cub, bring it home. Well, I'm going to bring it home with the
2: Wolverine. Oh yeah, yes. this this was of all the the Joe vehicles I got as a kid. This went on every single adventure. Just the sheer volume of missiles that were in it, uh, just took my young imagination to a lot of destructive places. <laughs> um, and in my canon, uh, you know, the the missiles, after you shoot one, you know, it automatically replenishes, so you can just keep shooting and shooting <laughs> and shooting. Uh, and also, that it came with Cover Girl, So you had a not only a female vehicle driver which is rare in of itself but she was driving this heavy artillery machine um yeah i i held on to my it wolverine you know over the years it it lost a lot of missiles it lost one of its treads uh, which were just the hard plastic treads it's not like the the plastic ones on the mobat Right, right um you know, this this thing had so much battle damage. Um, and good
1: luck on that tow rope.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, that's right.
1: Yeah, because that plastic actually shrunk, uh, shrinks over time. So finding one of those intact is, like, you know, practically impossible.
0: Well, I'll just look for a reproduction.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, they're all over eBay.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that vehicle. Um, it, it was the for me that was what they called in to get things done like it it was the bad boy the big heavy duty we got to blow this fortress to hell get cover girl on the line and bring in the wolverine any other wolverine thoughts you guys
1: there's one that I got a little bit later. I got it as a mail-in, so I did not get a cover girl with it um, when I when I had it. But it became one of my favorite toys to bring into battle. It's a it's the perfect size because it's not like a huge bulky tank like the Mobat or the Mauler would have been. You know, it's it's comparable to like a, a equivalent of like the His tank in size. Yeah. So it was. It's it's great. It's got a lot of play value. Yeah, it didn't have the working treads, which, you know, a little bit disappointing when you're a kid, but um yeah, it's uh, just a, a fun little you know, fantasy vehicle but realistic looking enough to uh mm-hmm. to feel like real military even though it wasn't based on anything in the real world.
0: All right, you guys, we have just enough time for a speed round. I asked uh each of you to think of one ridiculous, weird, or not great thing about G.I. Joe to bring up. <laughs> uh, and we're going to close this thing out just with a quick mention of what that thing was. Uh, Noel, why don't you start us off?
1: Uh, so this is the thing that is, uh, I just couldn't wrap my head around as as being something that would be possible in G.I. Joe. And it seems super obvious, but it was the Star Brigade Lunar Tix Empire, the (laughs) characters of Lobotomax, Carcass, and Predacon. They had aliens in G.I. Joe, and I was not into it at the time, but I'm pretty sure I saw those being advertised, and I was like, well, I'm glad I'm not playing with that anymore.
0: (laughs) Yeah, super weird figures. Uh, For a long time, I didn't think they even existed uh, But, yeah, uh, odd, weird concept. Yep. Christian, better or worse than Ninjas? <sighs> worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alright, my bad thing is literally every single vehicle released in 2003, they're all... <laughs> Terrible. They don't look like G.I. Joe products. Uh, I will leave it to the audience <laughs> to go to yojo.com and look up these 2003 vehicles. But, boy, are they just chunky plastic turds.
1: Were they doing built-to-rule at that point?
0: That's not what I'm talking about, but, yes, they were.
1: Oh, those were awful.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, no, this is all, like, just thick, plastic, chunky Fisher-Price-looking stuff. It's it's all terrible. Except for the Conquest of Cobra Mountain playset, which is awesome. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Christian, uh, once again, wrap us up. What is the thing, aside from ninjas, that just leaves a bad taste <laughs> in your mouth? The fandom's hate
2: for the Cobra Law. And I know... I know that's sacrilege to say, but uh, with a lot of the the interviews and stuff uh, that I've been reading about, you know, it was a concept that was forced on them by Hasbro, I think there is so much more potential there than what the writers gave them. So if you ignore the cartoon and you you look at the possibilities i think there's more there than than what people give a credit for so i don't understand the blind hate
0: well since this is just a quick bit we can't go deep into it, but we will have a deep discussion That's why about, I did
2: it. <laughs> we, we will have
0: a deep discussion about Cobra Law at some point in the future. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening. Please follow um, Audible Interlude Podcast on Insta- uh, Instagram and, oh gosh, we're on Twitter too, and now I can't remember what the handle is because I had to make it something weird because Twitter is terrible. Um, at G.I. Joe Audible on Twitter. Uh, You guys, thanks for sitting down and talking G.I. Joe, and uh, we will be doing it again really, really soon.
1: Yeah, sooner than you think.
0: Yo, Joe! Cobra. Cobra! Here are all the ways that you can support the Needless Things Podcast if you enjoy what you just heard. Follow Needless Things Podcast on Instagram. Join the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group. Uh, Do answer the three questions, but once you're in, you can interact with everybody here on the shows, uh, share your own news. I am all about people putting themselves over, so if you've got a cool project that you're doing uh you know you got your own podcast your own website whatever share it in there i want this to be a big community uh full of people interacting uh go to youtube and subscribe to the needless things youtube channel check out the reviews in there uh the podcast is also available there and i'm still not sold on how worthwhile that is but I got a couple of comments on the audio podcasts on YouTube. So, I mean, I, people are listening to them there. Um, but like, subscribe, share. I, I'm not going to ask you. I know this is a big thing on YouTube, or, or at least my son tells me it is, to, to do the bell, which is, I guess, notifications. You guys, I, I don't want you getting a notification on your phone every time I post a video, which granted isn't that often, it's twice a week. Uh, Well, depending on how many podcasts go up, but as far as like reviews and stuff, twice a week. That that just seems invasive to me. I I don't want to get a notification every time somebody I'm following on YouTube posts a video. I, I go to YouTube when I have the time and I, I go through my subscriptions and watch stuff. That's all I ask of you. And then also to share the videos if you enjoy them. That's the important thing. Go in there and share those videos. Get more eyes on them. Uh, I would do it for you. You know why? Because I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things Podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vix employee. Love you, mean it, uh uh-huh.